0: Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, we're be at the NCP crew. Richard, I'm rocking it to the max. Hardcore to the max. Hardcore to the max. (laughs) Luke. Yeah, getting jiggy with it with my peeps.
1: (laughs) And Crystal.
2: I'm here too.
1: (laughs) That's good. (laughs) You you can tell that we are the un coolest um street wisest people in the world
0: <laughs> <laughs> because we're white
2: <laughs>
1: yeah it's pretty bad
2: down with my home boys
1: so
0: not only is
2: one's mama <laughs> uh
0: so yeah not only is this episode is a, a reference to uh, get smart it's also, it is also the episode before our 100th episode that's right. Very exciting. Our next episode as our milestone 100th episode. So yeah, so this episode's exciting.
1: nothing. Just skip this one. Yeah, just ignore this <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: don't want to downplay this episode. <laughs> i to say. the next yeah. one. Wow.
2: I mean, this episode might have some of our best stuff in it. You. you don't know. You
1: never know. That's right. We might just suddenly produce quality work for the first time in 99 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> Speak for yourself, sir. And we've got a bumper
0: episode for you this time, folks. This, not only do we have two dust jackets... But thanks to Oz Comic Con, we've also got two interviews. Uh, The first one's with Rom and Nog from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is awesome. That's pretty cool. It's uh, Max Grudinczyk. 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 I'm hopeless with names. Uh, And uh, Aaron Eisenberg, so that's absolutely awesome. Um, We've also got uh, an interview with uh, uh, live actor, voice actor extraordinaire, uh, Jason Marsden. So uh, very, very, very cool. And not only that, we've also got our top five movie monsters. A huge episode.
2: Monster of an episode. It's a monster of an episode, that's awesome. I can't believe we didn't come up with that. Why didn't I think of that?
0: <laughs> that's why we got you on the show. Um, and not only that, this is, this is unbelievable, but we, uh, last episode we talked about our bag of swag giveaways, the biggest giveaway we've ever done, and let's face it, the biggest giveaway anybody's ever done. Oprah has nothing on us with this giveaway, it's huge.
2: She gave away a car to every member of the audience.
0: Lies. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. We're still better. But uh, this, this bag, the bag of swag is huge, and uh, we've already had a heap of uh, entries. It's the, the most entries we've ever had for a competition. But we love you guys so much that we're actually going to add more gifts to this bag of swag. This is It's it's now it's now so big, they are actually now going to call it the epic bag of swag. You I couldn't, couldn't think tell it of another rubbing word. I couldn't think of anything better than that. The bag of epic. Anyway, let me alone. So, to, so all, what we're adding to all that stuff that we that we listed before, well, you can check out our Facebook page for a complete listing of uh, what's in it. But we've also we're going to add the regular uh, regular show, the f- complete first season on DVD, and a bunch of comics. So even more comics. So it, these combined with the the comics that we already mentioned, it's basically a comic library. So we're adding Supergirl Volume One, Lobster Johnson Volume One, <laughs> Madame Xanadu Volume One, Exo Manowar Volume One. And Hack Slash Volume 1 and 2.
2: This, this is pretty good how most of them are just Volume 1. You're not starting people with Volume 3 or Volume 7. No, well, that wouldn't be horrible. We're <laughs> I mean, Volume 1. So it's, uh, it's,
0: it's, it's really cool. and uh, you got to be in it to win it. Get your entries in. We've already had a few in there. Get your entries in. Chuck in the hat. Bang. It's epic. <laughs> we've got, we've got Hag we got, Bag
2: a, of Swag. Bag.
0: <laughs> mega Bag. The Mega Bag of Swag. Anyway, uh, without further ado, let's move on to our dust jackets. And, uh, as we mentioned in our previous dust jacket episode, uh, we're actually, we're going to change the way we do dust jackets a little. We have we're going to have two dust jackets per episode, and uh, two members of each of the crew are going to review a book each. Uh, one of them will always be one from the sci-fi list. Uh, we'll be Richard's pick from the sci-fi list, and uh, another one will be will rotate. From uh, the other three, so let's uh, so let's get cracking, eh? So dust it number one is going to be Richard and Crystal, and they're going to be reviewing *The Space Merchants* by Frederick Pohl and Cyril M. Cornbluth.
1: *The Space Merchants* is actually number one hundred and thirty-nine on um, Sci-Fi List's top two hundred books. But also was included in uh, the Sci-Fi Masterworks. In a, I, I love these Sci-Fi Masterworks. They're just yeah, they're fantastic. Awesome. Um, but um, as David said, it's written by Frederick Pohl and C.M. Um, Kornbluth. Pohl is is one of the really one of the giants, I suppose, of, of science fiction. Like he's very well known, Legend. very popular, hmm. fantastic author. Poor C.M. Cornbluth, however, <laughs> died of a heart attack at the age of thirty six. Um apparently he injured his his heart was uh, injured during World War Two. He was injured never, protecting our country. Well, not our country necessarily. Well that wasn't a big real But certainly <laughs> our country. Fighting um,
2: for the Allies. Yeah, the yeah, Allies. So, See they're, they're yeah. therefore
1: and therefore our country. Yeah, and so unfortunately he died very young, but um and, and is sort of known today primarily for uh the six novels that he wrote with uh Frederick Pohl. And from what I've been able to see, The Space Merchants is actually uh, probably the most well-known and popular of those.
2: Certainly, you certainly got a lot of plaudits on the interwebs. Yeah.
1: Now, the first thing's first, I actually read this book without knowing a single thing about it, except that it was called The Space Merchants. And, it was a book. And that it was written um, in uh, the 1950s. So I was actually kind of just expecting a, you know, rollicking tale of, you know basically space traders and pirates and yeah, things I was like that. Space <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm happy to say that this book is nothing like that at all. Um, I was very, su- uh, very pleasantly surprised by that fact. Um, you, know me, you, know me, you know, it's been optioned by uh, Michael Bay Productions. No! <laughs> Michael
2: Bay is your father.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, the Space Merchants actually falls more into the, um, the category of, I guess, um, socially conscious science fiction, um, along the lines of things like uh, books we've reviewed in the past, like 1984 and Fahrenheit 451. That I do want it. to point out, it is not the equal of those books. It actually uh, kind
2: of reminded me more of, um, what's the name of the book that Silent Green's called, based on?
3: Make
1: Room,
2: Make Room. Make, yeah, it reminded yeah. me more of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Make Room, Make Room by Harry Harrison also really falls into that category. Um, The story centers around Mitch Courtney, who is an advertising copywriter for uh, Shocken Associates, which is the largest advertising company in the world. Now, to explain the importance of that, the world of the space merchants, which is 22nd century Earth, basically the advertising agencies and corporations basically run the planet. Governments are really just lackeys to these agencies and, co- and corporations, and they the agencies pay big bucks to lobbyists and to the government to basically make decisions in their favor. So he's a he's a junior copywriter, but he's 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 one that is a person that is on the rise and moving up the ranks very quickly of this corporation. and And he is a bit of a a, a corporate animal in that regards. He's you know he just he does what it takes to get the job done. The job that he's given in this book is that he has to advertise and market the appeal of Venus. More importantly, of colonists going to Venus. Um, Only one person to date has gone to Venus and has discovered that, you know, it's a completely inhospitable planet. Like no one would want to settle on this planet whilst obviously corporations have all the power here the the i guess the standard problems that you find in a lot of books of, of this period and and the period sort of slightly after this uh, are prevalent um overpopulation lack of resources um complete lack of conservation of uh natural resources um pollution pollute major major, major pollution. pollution if you go out on the streets you've got to be wearing uh breathing nostrils and soot plugs yeah um food shortages real food shortages um there's actually quite a horrific thing um in the book called chicken little um which is sounds cute on the face of it yeah but it's basically just this giant heart um at the in the basement of this massive building and the building um they basically produce protein in the building and feed it down into this heart and then this heart just then grows musculature around it it's alive like it, it it feels all of this then people just come and they just cut slabs off it so and then basically send it out for people to eat so yeah there's really quite some some rather harrowing elements like that in the nature of this world so um mitch courtney our main character is Yeah, as I said, given the job of trying to market Venus, and he really throws himself into it. This is a big contract for them. Um, Shock and Associates has paid the government to ensure that they basically have a monopoly on Venus, and that's why they want to advertise it, because they're looking at long-term revenue that will come from that. There is really um, a couple of uh, forces working against uh, Mitch. The first is there is an actual conservationist movement um an underground illegal movement
2: referred to as the Conbies which I find a very 50s term. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> um and they are presented as basically terrorists. Re- really the the the, uh, the equivalent to say the modern eco-terrorists. It the, the
2: the Greenpeace guerrillas of their day. Yeah,
1: exactly or the yeah the Sea Shepherd type groups. Um but they're presented as a lot more militaristic. Uh, but one of the things that does happen to Mitch in the story is that he actually um, begins to find out a lot more about this group and they actually attempt to recruit him at one point. And so he comes to understand that they're actually uh, much more organised and not anywhere near as violent, but the media portrays them as such to create a nice a nice enemy, basically. There is also um, Taunton. Um, advertising agency, which is basically the main rival for Shocken, But they, whereas Shocken Associates works on selling dreams to people and, you know, building things up and being, quote, classy, unquote, in their advertising. Um, Taunton are like the really sleazy, um, advertising agency where everything is marketed at, um, you know, sort of overt sexualization or subliminal se- sexualization that's the basics of the story i won't go into a great amount of details there's a lot of twists and turns along the way um the positives for this story for me first of all like a, a lot of the speculative fiction that i love this book is scarily accurate to the way the world is today it, from a speculative fiction pers- perspective um i find the book amazing um and i would put it in the category of books that i think it is probably important for people to read now the other thing I would say about it is that uh, Paul and Kornbluth write in a fantastic uh, economic style. Like, this book flows beautifully. Um, there's no really dull points. Um, but also, there's not a lot of exposition or explaining the way the world works to me. They actually do a great job of showing you how the world is by the actions of the main character and the things that the main character goes through. Um, so you don't get that info dump, which we we often complain about in a, in some of the books that we read. I found the main character interesting. He he's almost as bad as anybody else in the book early on. Uh, some, in fact, even worse than a few of them. Um, and there's some you know, there's some good twists and turns, some good intrigue, and some good action. If I was looking at negatives for the book, um, two things I would say would be some of the twists and turns are actually a little bit predictable.
2: Yeah, but that's it's it's. Uh... 50 year old book it's really kind of hard to yeah
1: very true very true um and also the the characters the the way the direction the character goes in at the very end of the book Mm. i thought was a little obvious but as you say once again the the age of the book says that 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 kind of makes sense Um, and the other uh, probably the other thing would be and you get this a lot with the 50s books is um the depiction of female characters is oh Yeah, it's it's not great. It's not the worst example. It's not, say, as bad as um, the Linsman stuff that we read in the past. Um,
2: Oh, I think the the depiction of female characters in this one actually was all right. I mean, the... the, um, Courtney's wife... Uh, well, no, the, the, the marriage thing is a bit uh, complex in this book in that, that they sort of have had like a pre-marriage thing in it to see if they like it and then they get committed later on if, yeah, if they do s- want to be married. You sign a one-year contract. She, um, she seems quite independent. She's a doctor. She's independent. Mm. She keeps her own name. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think the women are portrayed fairly well in this book. I mean, there's no women in high positions. And, In, and, and there is w- point, within the
1: corporation and there is a point where they do actually state that women aren't you know aren't allowed to speak at uh, corporate yeah. meetings and yeah. things like that but so. I think
2: uh, but for for a 50s book it is um, it's, they write with what they know and that's how society was at the time but it is it's a progressive I think thought to put uh, a strong female character and make her a doctor a surgeon of all things
1: yeah that, that was a good point um, um
2: because I think because the book is at all I, I did find it a bit predictable and um wasn't really my cup of tea but I, I do agree it, I didn't really get bored in any places it was a good nice flowing read uh, yeah. uh, it, it, it's, I don't think it's something I would ever go back to
1: mm. and I possibly would mainly because like I said it it, it is interestingly reflective of the times um, just based purely on my enjoyment of the
2: novel as I always say uh, I mean it's, it's perfectly well written a good example of writing of the time but uh, I, I would give it a two
1: um yeah I'd, I'd actually give this three and a half like i said i wouldn't put it on the level of things like 1984 but i i love speculative fiction of this nature so that was the space merchants number 139 on the list and you know i'd, I'd probably put it a little bit higher if it was me especially since we know battlefield earth is at, at about number 60 <laughs> oh, I, I certainly enjoyed make room
2: make room much more than, than this one. yeah i can
1: see that definitely yeah.
2: And they're both better than Battlefield Earth. <laughs> I haven't
3: read The Space Merchants, and I wasn't even a big fan of Make Room Make Room, so that's just telling really you how much I like Battlefield Earth.
1: Don't worry, we'll get to it eventually.
0: Uh, so next up we've got Dust Jacket number two, which is myself and Luke with The Dying Earth by Jack Vance.
3: Um, the Dying Earth is Jack Vance's first novel, and I use that term loosely not to make fun of it, but it's actually you know kind of more of a collection of thoughts, short stories around a the theme. Um, I've been a fan of Jack Vance for a while, but I've never actually read um, *The Dying Earth*, which is one of his um, uh, one of his classics. And it basically, like I said, a collection of um, stories centered around um, a theme, which is a dim place, ancient beyond knowledge. Ages of rain and wind have beaten and rounded the granite, and the sun is feeble and red. In a place of the old, pe- in the p- in place of the old peoples, a few thousand strange soul li- souls live. There is evil on Earth, evil distilled by time. Earth is dying, and that's sort of the thing that's reinforced through all six short sto- all six stories. Um, and that's obviously from Vance's description of um, the dying Earth from uh, the first story. It's a world where magic has actually superseded science again. A lot, of- magic and alchemy have um, risen to the fore, but a lot of the- what the short stories deal with, our main characters are actually trying to search for some. Level of truth and understanding beyond the realms that they can beyond the realms that they know. For instance, in the first story, Turgeon of Mir is actually is a bit of a Frankenstein, trying to actually create new life, but doesn't doesn't have the knowledge sufficient to create life that lives more than say two or three minutes. And so he's attempting to work out the secret of secret of life uh, to create uh, more living flesh. And stories sort of detail. Along those lines, um, the next story details again Turgeon, but he's, um, he's been captured by a magician and the life form that it creates actually has to go and rescue him. The third, the thir- the third story details um, uh, another kind of life who comes to it and discovers um, her humanity. Yeah. The, thir- the, th- the fourth story, I think, which is the weakest, which details an adventure of Leanne the Wayfarer, who we meet in the previous story...
0: I'm glad you mentioned that. Doesn't Leon die in the previous yeah, story? Yeah, that's,
3: that's what I was going to talk about yeah, okay, a little bit cool. later on. Because right. I, I, I just want to make sure I was right about. Um, that. And I think I think it's the week, week but again, I'll talk about uh, yeah. the fifth story, which is my favorite, which is a full line of door, which is about a a man being sent to to recover the secret knowledge of this old king. And that's my to favorite as well. And I want to talk about it because that's where you uncover a lot more of the culture of yeah. the old earth. Yeah. And then the fifth one de- um, is about Guile of Sphere, who is attempting who. Uh, a kid, young man, burdened with a desire to know the answer to questions which sufi- which um, current knowledge is insufficient in answering. And so, much to, the, much to the relief of his dad, he actually goes to seek out the Museum of Man. Yeah, um, that's the classic what, sort of fantasy quest. Sort of the idea. fantasy quest, but it's not the fantasy quest to go and destroy no. or to go and, you know, gain a precious object in the terms of a physical element. It's to go and actually get some form of knowledge and understanding. Yeah, um, and therefore self-awareness. Self-awareness. Mm. But the interesting thing I find about that is that generally in these sort of situations, as um, history has proven out, these sort of situations lead to a great enlightenment. Yeah. But the way that I looked at it, is this is a permanent dark... This is a Dark Ages yeah. with no hope of a renaissance. Yeah. These people are actually you know, working out really some ways of improving themselves and to a, to a lesser extent wider humanity. As but with the foreknowledge that ultimately they're at the end, Earth yeah. right? is actually a century or two
0: away from actually going out completely. Yeah, it's never actually it's never actually said how far away Earth is from dying. It could be anything from a couple of decades to a, a couple of centuries. Yeah, There's no, they're not too sure. But the, the simple fact is that it is on us last, last. Yeah, and um, that's that,
3: that. It sort of creates a sense of not pessimism quite so much, but um, oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, antipathy ultimately long. it's not going to last it's yeah. not going to last and they, they actually say that in the last story yeah um at the end when they discover when kyle does discover the museum of man he actually says yeah this could not actually last long but then the, the suggestion being yeah we need to start moving out maybe i really enjoy the um the stories They're, there's a sort of a nice weird fantasy element to them but also really interesting characters i love ulan of door because you know we get things like flying cars and but also the just the sweep of the story itself. Ulan's it a great character and the decisions and the discovery that they make at the end I think is gold. As soon as I went that went rock on Cthulhu. So
0: yeah, um Dave, your thoughts. I mean actually well, I actually would call it more of a, it's a fantasy with a little with, with tinges of science fiction mm. up until we get to that story. Yeah. Those first couple of stories I was like when I, when I tried to introduce a fantasy a fantasy book into, into the group when I did Legend, and, you know, Richard's not a fan of fantasy, and, and, and mm-hmm. generally, you know, you're not really sort of fantasy-type readers. When I, when I started reading this book, I was like, Sneaky Luke has actually, he's managed to sneak in a fantasy story, mm-hmm. which I thought was awesome. I was like, you know, I'm really glad that I picked the, to do this one with you. Mm-hmm. Until, of course, but then we get to the flying car sort of stuff. And then uh, one of the reasons I really love that story is that it that, out of all of them, hints more to the fact that there's been civilizations previous. Yeah. And one of those civilizations had flying cars. And I love the main character guy. He's sort of, I got a feeling he's kind of Arabic. I got a feeling he's... he's, so, he's, a, little, he's a little exotic. from the, um, the exotic Arab hmm. nation. So I just, I had him in like, you know, the flowing robes and hmm. the, and the, the Prince of Persia type thing, yeah. the, the pant, pantaloons and stuff. Mm. It, was, it, was, it was awesome. And it, actually, eventually, it does have a bit of a Battlefield Earth moment where he like he gets in the flying car and he figures out how to use it within seconds. And I was like, <laughs> come on. Um, yeah, but, yeah enough, I had that exact same moment. <laughs> I thought, hang on,
3: this is Barry Piper yeah. um, sitting in the machine... Being infused with all these um, these uh, formulas and um, well, that's just so something I had. had Barry
0: Piper well. Baron, Baron makes sense because the machine makes him more intelligent; mm-hmm. and he can feel free it But when he when he teaches the others how to use the Harry Jets, it's yeah. like, "Come on." Yeah. Anyway, but this is we're not talking about it Yeah, yeah so and, and it's like I sort of like the, love the rollicking sort of adventure of it, and then like you said, how it sort of, it sort of moves into sort of the Macthulhu sort of elements mm-hmm. like, with the tentacles and which are still technology. Yeah. But sort of, magic, but fantastical. Um, great.
3: For those of you who are listening to this and a bit confused, we're trying to talk about what's cool about it. Well, that what without what's actually giving it away because yeah. what the big revelation. I went absolutely. This yeah. is now awesome. It is yeah. Um, and I want to keep rolling on. Like <laughs> I said, getting back to one of the things that you were talking about. Le- I think the weak story is Leanne the Wayfarer. Yeah, it's an attempt to be a little bit lighter in touch, which I've got no problem with per se, um, but I don't think it quite hits the home in terms of um, in terms of its humour. All the characters. it's just not funny it's not and funny and it tries to be funny it tries to be I funny unfortunate. and it does try to be dark at the end as well but it still doesn't quite work but the other way the other way it doesn't work in that is that Leanne's actually introduced in the, this, to us in the story beforehand yeah. in which Sai so quite clearly kills him. He well, at least leaves him to die leaves him to die that's more okay, like, so yeah, he's, yeah. It, but the idea being that he's got a fatal wound yeah. and he's not going to walk away whereas in this one in, in Leanne's Way confused. Forward, <laughs> was confused there's a moment where you say they're going hang on Okay, so clearly this is said before that. Yeah. So hang on, is he dead again? <laughs> What's happening here? Oh, I'm not giving away, because it's not a particularly <laughs> important story. No. Nah. There were four There were four books in the entire... Jack Founce wrote four books mm. um, all up. I haven't read um, books three to four. And, and the rest
0: of short story books, No, I think they're, actually, no, or I or think or they're the, more novels. They're more novels, However, right.
3: However, George R. R. Martin and Gardner Dozois did do an anthology um, in tribute to um, yeah. The Dying Earth. And so they had various writers you know, write stories set in... In the world itself, um, Jack Vance Siong- actually died recently.
0: No, oh, he's cool. actually
3: been around for a while. Well, not, made- coo- not cool, but you know, I mean. um, <laughs> he lived a long life. <laughs> a yeah, life- what can you do? <laughs> he, lived a- he lived a long life. He was made an SF Grandmaster in the seventies and um, had a reasonably prolific career. But the reason why I mention this is because he's an influence on guys like Dan Simmons. Reading mm. Hyperion, I went, yeah, this guy's read things like Dying Earth, but also Big Planet. The big thing that Jack Vance does, um, his big contribution and why he's remembered as he is, is that he sort of revolutionized the planetary adventure story, which this one doesn't quite do. Um, From what I can understand, his next one, Big Planet, did a lot more so. Took it away from the milieu of um, the Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter of Mars um, romantic adventure and made it more about exploration of planets, um, but then introduced the various archetypes that would um, go and explore that, which is in Hyperion. That's one of the stories mm-hmm. I think actually refers to it directly. And that's what his actual contribution to uh, science fiction as a genre is. I give this uh, three and a half looks, because um, it what doesn't quite hit the mark. It's not it's not that mind-bendingly brilliant, but it is certainly a lot
0: of fun, and I highly enjoyed it. Dave? yeah i mean if, if i i really enjoyed it a lot as well it was it was uh you know simple read with no big words and, mm. and yeah. it was, you know it, was, it moved along in a nice clip I, I do agree that the wayfarer story is essentially the weakest um, my, my my favorite is like i said is the is, La, is, is, is all on yeah my second my second one was when they went to go find the monuments of man the
4: museum the, of the, museum. the
0: museum of man and, and that sort of stuff i thought that was i mean the the face in the wall <laughs> That the demons come out. of was mm. pretty. That was awesome, sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, I love the love the sort of fantastical elements. Of it. I, I guess the only sort of negative things I would say would be the. Um, I just think maybe it was a little bit too descriptive sometimes, especially the first story where he yeah. describes the garden that he's standing in. Mm. I was like, holy crap! I just you know I just don't need to know. Yeah. You know, it was really overboard, mm. and some of the names are a bit, a bit kind of silly, but it's sort of of its time, I suppose. Uh, but all but all in all, I I, I really really enjoyed it, and mm. uh, I give it uh, four out of five looks. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, I think I think that worked. Uh, the the Dush's thing. I think that was that was really cool. We'll stick we'll stick with it. Uh, so next dust jacket episode will be uh, another retro pick. And his will be...
1: My next pick will be More Than Human by Theodore Sturgeon. An absolute classic of the genre. But <laughs> I have not read it, so I don't know if it's good.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and it'll be Crystal's p- turn to pick. And... and this is
2: totally coincidental. My book's called The Humans. <laughs> wow, we didn't even, didn't even Did plan, not, plan that. That's it's by, a, a, by, it, by Matt Haig.
3: It's our all-human special. <laughs> <laughs> Except that's not about humans, from what I understand.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually about a dog, isn't it? Hmm.
2: That's just the cover. Oh, oh, sorry. It's because there's a dog on the
0: cover, doesn't it? Anyway, so it's more than human and the humans.
1: The humans. Yes, we will dub it the all-humans special. And our review will be humanoids from the deep for the movies. (laughs) I watched that the other day. (laughs) Did you? Oh, it's so bad. It is bad. (laughs) So bad. (laughs) I remember it being terrible, but I haven't seen it in decades. It's not even good bad. It's just bad. With the deadly buttocks head monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious Anyway
0: (laughs) I don't know why We we should do a new segment
2: um, David's Bad Movie Review
0: (laughs) Cool Uh, So next up we have The Top 5 Movie Monsters (laughs) And on that note We'll start with Crystal
2: (laughs) And funnily enough uh, That doesn't allude to my top 5 His jaw's not in there Jaws is not in there. Shameless. I you. haven't seen the movie. No, I did say that horrible bait movie you made me like, watch. Well that's my fault because I bought it.
1: That's <laughs> right, you bought it. <laughs> Sorry, did you just say you've never seen Jaws, mm. but you have seen bait. <laughs>
2: I bought it for David as a present because it looked just like the horrible bad movie that he would enjoy and <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. It was terrible. It was <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. I had real trouble with this because I haven't seen a lot of monster movies, so some of my monsters aren't your typical big monster smash building kind of monster. That's so,
0: cool, they that don't
2: have to be. And I, I had trouble getting like I had four, I had trouble getting the fifth one and then it came to me and I thought, oh I can't believe I didn't think it is. It's Twinkle the giant kitten in the Kitten Kong episode. <laughs> 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 kitten awesome. Kong Awesome. <laughs> I rewatched it at the advertising in preparation and it's just it's still as funny today as it ever was. So a little throwback there to our our top five british comedies <laughs> my number four is the polymorph from red dwarf again another throwback to the, <laughs> the, to the british. polymorph uh, one of my favorite red dwarf episodes is a polymorph for those that ha- have not seen it is a, an alien that can morph into anything including a uh, a, a sausage and a, a ball <laughs> listed as underpants <laughs> <laughs> And then we head into real, uh, like, scary monsters. Uh, my my third is the Borg. Now, Borg is one of the, probably the only Star Trek villains that have given me nightmares. I have had nightmares about the Borg.
0: <laughs> really?
2: <laughs> yes. It's weird. I, I dreamt that I was, I was trapped on, on a beach and we were surrounded in Borg and I wanted so desperately to get away that I tunneled into the cliff, like, with my hands and I'm tunneling <laughs> through the cliff to get away from the Borg. Uh, number number two is the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who. This is that I think one of the creepiest modern Doctor Who Who episodes ever. I mean, I'm i not a big one for horror, as listeners will know, but when it's written well and it's got a good story, like Doctor Who usually is not always, but usually, um, this episode was just. I was literally on the edge of the seat watching this episode with the Weeping Angels. Partly because I'd just gotten a new kitten and I was worried he was going to wee everywhere. So I had to keep one eye on him and one eye on the telly. So it made it even <laughs> worse. Oh, Weird story. <laughs> <laughs> and my number one um, all-time monster, because I thought I should have a, a, a big, scary monster in there, is Shelob from The Lord of the Rings. Who wants to be... I mean, I'm not a big fan of spiders anyway. Uh, It's it's, it's, it's something on a visceral level for me that I look at them and they creep me out. I know it's not going to hurt me, but it still creeps me out. So a spider that is not only larger than me, but has fangs that will pierce right through my body. Oh, I think that's the creepiest monster (laughs) in the world. That's uh, fair enough. The fact that that Sam wins, I just think that's awesome.
0: That's because Sam's awesome. (laughs) Sam is the true hero of Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Cool.
1: Thank you, there.
2: You're welcome. Back <laughs> to you in the studio.
1: <laughs> Next up, we've got Richo. Yeah, there's actually a little bit of uh, confusion. I, I actually, uh, I actually suggested this top five monsters list, and originally I was actually thinking big, giant monsters. Um, because we'd just come off watching lots of Godzilla movies. But when I actually sent the list through to Dave, who apparently was also thinking that, I actually just went with regular monsters, so I do apologise for confusing everybody. It's all good. I'm
2: glad you went with regular monsters, because yeah.
1: I, I couldn't come up with that many big monsters. Yeah, that, that that was actually part of why we went this way, because I thought, yeah, Dave actually did point out Crystal probably hasn't seen too many giant movie monster movies.
0: Giant movie monster movies. That's right. full of <laughs> action,
2: action <laughs> from the wacky waving arms.
1: Wacky waving arms, inflatable too, man. That's right. Um, so my top five regular monsters. Then um, at number five, I had the Thing. Um, very specifically, though, the Thing from um, John Carpenter's 1982 version. Um, I have a real discomfort about monsters that can actually change shape into, like, people you might know. Or Lister's underpants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, so things like... Um, I, I mean, I was freaked out as a kid by things like... Um, Invasions of the Body Snatchers. Mm. For that very reason. And uh, for me, of all those kind of shape-shifting monsters and things... The thing is, is the best because not only does he transform into, uh, you know, he might be the person next to you or, you know, he might even be you and you're not even sure about that sort of thing. But also the way in which he transforms is just horrifying. <laughs> um, and the different sort of gestalt monsters that are formed in that, uh, in that movie just, I'll, I'll be honest, they freaked me out when I was younger. So the thing at number five. At number four, I had uh, King Kong. Once again, I'm actually referring probably to the original 1933 version of Kong. Um, what I love about Kong is that whilst Jesse's a giant monster, he goes on a rampage, he destroys stuff and you know, also fights some cool dinosaurs and stuff like that. But but it's the actual tragedy of Kong as a figure. Like he is, he is I, I think, a, a, the classic example of the misunderstood monster. Um, and really, at the end of the day... So they didn't need to take him off the island. They could have just left him there, and things would have been fine. So, and that, that, yeah, that's so, where that. Then you wouldn't have had in. a movie. Yeah, true. But poor Kong. I just I actually every time I watch that film, um, or really any version of King Kong, I feel sorry for Kong and just want him to eat all of the humans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My number three is also a giant monster, um, and that's Godzilla or Godzilla, because I just love. To watch movies in which giant monsters go rampaging through streets and um, it's, it's a personal uh, pleasure of mine and um, look I'll, I'll admit that most of the Godzilla movies just aren't great the original Godzilla the very first movie I think is fantastic and really set a standard for giant monster movies um, the series gets a little silly as it goes along and there are multiple attempts to, to make it better but but I just love Godzilla because he just goes nuts my number two monster um, actually kind of brings us back a little bit to tragic figures. Um, and this, uh, my number two monster is Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein's monster, I should say. As depicted in both uh, Mary Shelley's novel, but also in the many of the countless movies, because let's face facts, there are some shocking Frankenstein movies out there as well. But um, once again... Thanks nice for
0: Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah,
1: I find Frankenstein to be actually a tragic figure, because really, he didn't want to be brought back.
2: Frankenstein or Frankenstein's Frankenstein.
1: monster? Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein. Um, I find, sorry, Frankenstein's monster. I will be correct. You know, he's brought into a world that, you know, by a creator that shuns him and then thrust into a world where the world then shuns him. Um And really, at the end of the day, he just wants, you know, companionship. He's seeking a mate and things like that. And, you know, I really, really force, feel sorry for him, you know. And you know, in the movie version, he then gets hunted down by people that burn him to death. I mean, that's terrible, poor guy. My number one monster, however, was who was also um, ranked, you know, in uh, when we did the villains episode for me. There, there really was, there was no other choice for me, and that is Dracula. Dracula is just the absolute epitome for me of terrifying monsters. First of all, because he's intelligent. Like he and he's manipulative why. and he's nasty and he, he takes real joy out of not just you know killing and feeding on people because you know, vampires have to do that to survive, but he just loves to torment his victims before doing it. What he, what he does to to Lucy Westerner in the novels is absolutely horrifying, and that just that long drawn out. Uh, way that he does things. Um, you sick man! You say absolutely horrifying with a chuckle. Oh, I know it's so exciting. <laughs> you also, this huge um, grin on your face. <laughs> but um, you know, and uh, there are well, there are once again shocking Dracula movies out there, and uh, you know, depictions of the character. I, I think the original novel is brilliant. Obviously, the Bella Lugosi movie. Um, you know, the, its transformation into, say, not the original Nosferatu, and of course, our main man Christopher Lee. And his many depictions of Dracula, um, to, to me, there just is no better monster out there than Dracula. He is brilliant.
0: Awesome, good list. Uh, next up, we've got Luke.
3: Okay, all right. So I'll start my number five, my list off with number five, which is the Xenomorph from the first Alien. Really, we've, we've talked about Alien. We talked about the Alien franchise before, but the, one of the things that is a truly scary being because you don't get any sense of motivation. Or any reason as to what why he's doing what he's doing, it's more about the effect that the monster that being chased by the monster has on all those around you in a very confined environment. In Terms of design, one of you know H.R. Geiger's best, um, and certainly become uh, iconic in and, of its own, in and of itself. Number four is Godzilla, for a lot of the reasons why, that Richo um, talked about, but also the post Hiroshima um, atomic bomb message that goes with that. Um, and also, you know, quite nice to see Tokyo get destroyed by a giant monster. I don't know. It's just, its always—it's always a highlight <laughs> of the Godzilla films. Tokyo being destroyed It's sort of one of the things you hang out for. I've got no uh, antipathy towards Tokyo at all. That's <laughs> a, I, Godzilla destroying something—that's mm. that's the point of my mm. argument.
5: Godzilla smash!
3: Um, exactly right. And um, <laughs> of all the um, the, the, um, the post atomic monsters. He is still the one that stands out. You know, you've got Tarantula, you've got ants, you've got Mothra, you've got Gidra. He's the one that still um, reigns supreme. Well, number three is King Kong, and I rate King Kong over Godzilla because King Kong actually does have, you know, as Richard pointed out, a tragedy. There's a character um, or some character work going on there that actually does let let you feel a level of empathy towards Kong that makes his um, his demise at the end actually a lot more poignant. Godzilla's um, just uh, a method, a mode, or a comment for the destruction that we in- that we invite upon ourselves. Um, Kong is actually um, a character in and of himself who does actually feel something towards uh Ray, otherwise he wouldn't pursue her as readily as he does. And that's why I think he's actually a better monster, or a more interesting monster than Godzilla. My um, number two is Dracula. Um, for much of the reasons that Richo has already stated, really, he's the king of the vampires, there is really nothing more scarier than the monster coming towards you in complete control of the situation. Mm-hmm. doesn't need to rush, doesn't need to take you by surprise. He knows you're going to die, and he knows that you know you're going to die, and he can just take his time. My number one is Gilman from the Creature of the, the Black Lagoon films. Now, the reason why I'm a big fan of Gilman is actually not because he's a monster. At no point in any of the films... That I feel nothing but empathy for the creature. In the first one, it's a bit, you know, we, we've come into his environment and he does sort of attack us for it and he does fall in love with the woman in, woman in the, the cliched monster way. And Creature is a brilliant film, don't get me wrong. It's in the second film, Revenge of the Creature, where we kidnap, we take the creature out of his environment. Okay, he's done nothing to us in the, in the second film at all. We take him out of his environment, we put him in a sea world like um, theme park. Where we continue to shock him to use cattle prods on the creature in an attempt to get him to do what we want for our own amusement. Naturally, the creature breaks free, and he goes on a rampage. And I felt nothing but empathy for the character <laughs> because we deserve everything he throws at us in that second film.
1: If those people had just watched King Kong beforehand, <laughs> they would basically see that you don't do that with these kind of monsters.
3: And the. To be fair, the less said about the third, the creature walks among us, the um, the better, because suddenly the creature is now a sumo wrestler.
1: Well, they, they kind of they kind of go for a more Frankenstein approach with yeah. him, and it just doesn't work. And it
3: doesn't work, but um, yeah, Gilman's my number one because I am with the the creature, a hundred percent, and we deserve everything we get.
0: Okay, so last we've got myself. Uh, my top five. Are at number five, I have the Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, it's a more recent addition to the list, but he's, uh, just goddamn freaky. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, I saw, obviously I saw that film as an adult and, uh, even, even then I was just creeped out. So how the child actress handled <laughs> it? I have no idea. It was, uh, it's just a very, very cool design. Uh, at number four, I had, uh, The Thing. So like Richard said, the John Carpenter version, not The Walking Frankenstein carrot. monster type carrot thing from the yeah th- the big I monster it was just terrible. Uh, no, it's yes, the the Don Cumberbatch version and yeah, for every, for every reason that Richard says, just uh, just a brilliant creation and uh, Rick Baker's triumph special effects.
1: Oh, uh, some of the especially the scene with the dogs.
0: Yeah, just harrowing. Yeah, and that flower creature thing that pops up. Yeah. The, oh, yeah, weird things And Mike
1: Plugs <laughs> designs mm. as well.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the plugs,
1: the plug. <laughs>
0: I think you actually going to refer to it as the Plugue. The Plug. <laughs> I hope you did. Anyway, moving on. At number three I had the Gremlins. Uh so from the obviously from the movie Gremlins, why not you? Uh, there's the little the mogwais who were then eventually transformed into the Gremlins themselves. They were a triumph of animatronics at the time and uh for a for a kids film it was uh, pretty full on. It's not a kid's film. <laughs> <laughs> well but, it was marketed as a kid's film. Because
1: the, the great thing about them is how they could just be so cute and cuddly and then no
0: and <laughs> all of a sudden they're trying to kill you yep. uh, so yeah so really really cool I do I do quite like the, the sequence in the in the the supermarket where um, Stripe is basically trying to kill Billy yeah. <laughs> great, it, just, it takes him to town he's, he's only tiny, but he just just takes him to town it's great stuff at number two I had The Predator it's just awesome <laughs> it's, it's just very very cool um, I, I like it he's, he's in my list more because of how awesome he is not necessarily how scary he's not real scary at any time mm-hmm. uh, but he is you know, the ultimate hunter and uh, he proves it time and time again and if he bleeds we could kill him that's, well, that's exactly right you couldn't sound more like Frank Spencer <laughs> than <though>, could you <laughs> <It> was <laughs> the and worst he, we, we could, could kill, kill him. him It was the worst and number one I had what uh, Luke had at number five which I'm, you should feel ashamed number one I had the xenomorphs And might have mainly I'll pick I'll pick the ones from Aliens sorry let me just
3: get this straight I have him on my list, at, I actually have him on my list, the other two have,
1: don't,
0: yeah. but I'm the one who should feel ashamed. Oh, okay. That's, that is a very good point, I, I like your logic. The other two should feel
1: ashamed. <laughs> yes, because the five monsters I picked are all so terrible, including the one that I picked that is also on your list. <laughs> okay, well I've been put back in my box, so
0: I'll just, I'll continue on. Uh, There's even more, yeah, brilliant design, brilliant monster, mm. scary mm. as hell and it's just you know an unstoppable force uh, the the main thing that I find sc- the most scary about it is it's life cycle mm. I mean the fact that it invades our body Ew. as a parasite and then you know bursts out as, as as awesome as it does and then you know it goes from there it's just brilliant so that's it for our top 5 up next we got Coming Soon Coming Soon in Australian cinemas July 9th we get Dawn of the Planet of the Apes That's it. That's all we get.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of intrigued by this. I actually didn't mind the last film. It was solid. It was solid.
0: We'll go with that. Yeah, it was
1: solid. It had its issues, but yeah, it was better than I expected it to be, so hopefully this uh, will continue that trend.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so next up we've got our interviews. Uh, Thanks to Oz Comic Con Melbourne. Uh, They look after us every year. Uh, They're great, great people, Um, and I was lucky enough to score a couple of interviews, uh, first up, we've got Max Grodencich. 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 I'm hopeless. You're I'll one stu- that taught me how to I say it. I stuffed it up at the start <laughs> and at the end. Uh, and Aaron Eisenberg, who played uh, Rom and Nog respectively on Deep Space Nine, it ties into our last episode. the Star Trek special. That's all. It's it's the universe. The universe loves it's synchronicity. <laughs> and then after that, I'll play the Jason Marsden interview. Uh, all of them great guys. It was a lot of fun talking to them. Um, It's a shame I couldn't meet them in
2: person, but I wasn't feeling the best. But you know, what can you do? Apologies for the audio quality, but stick with it; it's worth listening to it.
0: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. It is it is recorded through an iPhone on their end, then (laughs) through an iPhone on my end, and then into a microphone. So it's not the greatest quality, but you know, we did what we could, so it it all worked out. But uh, great interviews. Check them out, and then uh, we'll come back and uh, we'll say goodbye. Hello, Max. Hi, David. I mean, uh, well, I'm in Melbourne as well, but uh, I'm at home. I'm actually a bit ill, so I, uh, didn't, oh, want, I, didn't, I didn't want to be the, the person that infected all the guest stars. It would have
5: been funny if he was just in the room next door. <laughs> <laughs> nice to
6: meet you over
0: the phone. Yes, very nice to meet you you as well, Max. And, and Aaron is there as well?
6: Yes, thank you. Yes, thank how you, yes. Are you doing? I could be somebody else. I could be Sean Ashmore.
0: <laughs> I, I'll trust that you are who you say you are. <laughs> so, welcome to Australia. Thank you. Thank you very much for talking to me. I, I, my, my name's David. As you know, I'm from Nerd Culture Podcast. Nice yeah. to meet you. Nice. to hey. I've, I've got uh, limited time with you guys, so I'll just uh, I'll just jump straight into it. Um, David, I want you
4: to know I, I, I dressed very well for you because I thought I'd be on camera, so uh, I'm going to get.
0: I'm gonna get naked now, like I'm in my living room. Okay. <laughs> That's to- totally
4: fine. the
0: rest of us. <laughs> just I, I've seen photos of both of you, of course, in your in your, your civilian identities. I know you're very, both very handsome men. I just, I'll just assume that is the case. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can have extra time. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. So I'm with uh, Max. Is it Grodenchik? Way to pronounce it. Uh, oh, and Aaron and uh, Aaron Eisenberg, who are best known as uh, Rom and Nog from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, but also just a heap of other stuff as well. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank you very much. And uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you don't have any clothes on. That's fine. So uh, Max, other than Rom, um, what would be one of your other favourite roles? Other
4: than Rom, yeah. Well, I guess. Just Rom is my favorite because he had a chance to develop so much. You know, I did a movie called uh, 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 Bruce Almighty. I'll say that I played the uh, newsroom director, uh, and he's on a little bit. I mean, it, you know, the, the the star of the movie is Jim Carrey, yeah. but uh,
0: he's a cool character. Know. He's actually the one I was hoping you were going to say.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to think the movie's all about him. So <laughs> I'll say I'll say that
0: guy. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so the next two questions directed at Aaron. Um, Aaron, one of the things that I love about Nog was that he was always striving to be a better person. Uh, Did you find him easy to relate to?
5: Uh, Yeah, I I did, actually, absolutely. Um, Especially as as Nog was getting to that part in in, in the seven-year arc for his character. Um, Honestly, I think the writers... I think they had a synergy, a synergistic relationship with the actors because they were so close to the set. So I think they were able to come down and get kind of a feel for the personalities of the actors. And and I think somehow that got written in to the show to some degree because it was a little uncanny how close Nog resembled myself and and my life. Uh, It was really uncanny. Uh, And... um, I always felt Nog was one of the most human characters on the show because of what you just said, because he, he strived to better himself and continually move forward. And, and many times he would fall and fall on his face, but he would get back up and try again. And, and it was a, uh, a wonderful story that, that they wrote, that they gave me and that I got to, uh, portray.
0: He is cool. I mean, he, he didn't even let losing a leg stop him. You know, I mean, he just, he just kept going.
5: Yeah, but you didn't know if that was going to stop him. I I think
0: that's what was wonderful.
4: Mm. You
5: didn't know, you know, because of the episode afterwards, you know, you you got to see him deal with that um, rather than just, you know, the next episode, oh, well, that's not going to stop me. You weren't sure if it was or not. And even at the end of that episode, um, I love that that when the family, you know, they say, are you all right? He says, no, but I will be.
4: Um, I thought
5: that was a a wonderful little line that that the writers wrote. We're just so fortunate to
0: have the writers that we were, that we had, we really were. They just wrote great stuff for us. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, great show. We're huge fans of Star Trek here. In fact, our last episode was just devoted purely to Star Trek. It's just, it's, it was it's great, great stuff. Um, you, you guys obviously played uh, a father and son on the show, um, and Avery Brooks and Shirok Lofton often mentioned at conventions and stuff like that that they actually maintained a father father son relationship on set and just how, how how close they grew to each other. Did you guys ha- share the same sort of bond? Um, I don't think so, because I always ask
5: Max for money, but he never gives me any. He <laughs> never sends me any money, you know. I ask him frequently, if, you know. I'll pay my mortgage. Um, no, I, I think Max and I personally have a different relationship because I wasn't necessarily a child um, on the show uh, when I started I was about 23 24 um, mm-hmm. so I was I was pretty much an adult I mean a young adult but nonetheless an adult where where I do think that Avery and and, and Sirac, um did have a little bit more bit of a father-son relationship because I also think that translated off screen I you know I mean I, I think Serah was going through some difficult times and and Avery kind of became almost like a surrogate father to him on the show because he was a a young man, a young boy on the show, you know.
4: So where I think Max and I kind of had a different
5: relationship of of two working actors um, that both
4: looked up to Armin. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: We actually actually interviewed uh, Armin on the show as well. He's awesome. Yeah, he was the, our go-to guy if
5: we ever had a
0: problem or a question. <laughs> do
5: you, do you yeah. ask
0: him? Do you ask him for money? Uh, no, I
5: didn't <laughs> ask him for money. I'm too afraid to. Armin was, Armin was the referee. Yeah,
4: <laughs>
0: Armin would quell,
5: would quell
4: our insecurities.
0: <laughs> so you guys are yeah, actually, sorry, you, you guys are more like mates than you are than it was really a father and something.
4: Yeah, I think Rom was not a, a typical father. His father's fatherhood skills were uh, very low, I think. And I think uh, Nog was, uh, had to grow up fast yeah. uh, with, with uh, his aunt, uh,
5: uncle. Most um, uh, Ringi boys grow up fast. Yeah. Surrounded by
0: strippers, gambling, and booze, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the Dabo girls? <laughs> exactly. Talking about Dabo yeah. girls, um, it, uh, Max, it must have been pretty cool to be able to. Uh, Uh, Kiss Chase Masterson.
4: Well, I would like to do that without the teeth next time. That would be that would be an improvement. Uh, uh, Nothing, uh, you know, it's not too shabby kissing Chase, but those teeth don't give you a lot of uh, uh, sensation. (laughs) And you always (laughs) asked for an extra cake when you had to do that, didn't you?
0: Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there would have been a lot of rehearsals.
4: (laughs) It's hard to kiss the Ferengi because you get all that. That's called that makeup. That that orange makeup is called Pax, P-A-X. And, you, she, you, you know, she gets a cheek full and a lip full of Pax when she kisses me. And then they have to reset everything. And, and, you know, it takes her like 15 minutes to get remade up to get all the Pax off her face. One day she
5: had blue makeup all over her face. So Max was very upset because uh, she cheated on him with an, <laughs> 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 have you, have, an Andorian, I guess yeah. They're both
0: blue, aren't they? Yeah, they are. We have a, a standard, sort of a sort of a standard question on the show that um, um, that I really like to sprint on people. So so get ready for this one. If you were doing this interview, what would be the one question that you would want
4: asked? We are doing the interview. <laughs> <laughs> if you were if
0: you were controlling the interview. If
4: I was controlling the interview.
0: Yeah, you would asking the question. What would be the one question that you would want asked of you that, that nobody ever asks? You know that's
4: a really, really good question. That's a really good question. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm a little stunned by the <laughs> question. Do you have any? Uh... I don't actually. No, that's a tough one. I don't have. I don't.
5: I don't really think about what people don't ask me. I...
0: I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean to stop you, both. Sir. <laughs> oh, that's
4: okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of
0: dumbfounded
4: here. Uh, <laughs> I've been asked so many questions. I, I
5: haven't. I, I can't think of one that I have not been asked that I wish somebody would ask. I guess the, you know, one question that people ask me a lot that I do like to answer, well, I, I don't get to ask how much, they ask if I would reprise the role again,
4: which I would do in a heartbeat.
0: That'd be cool. I'm
4: um, to fly for 20 hours to get back home on Monday, and I'm going to be thinking about this the whole
0: time <laughs> now. <laughs> you, um, when, I, when I meet you at the convention, I'll give you my email address, and you can email me your answer. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same here, maybe I'll come up with something. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you very much for, go- for talking to me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, you, David. What's up, David? Hi, Jason. How are you doing? I'm amazing. How about yourself? I am doing quite well. I'm a little ill, though, which is why we're doing a phone interview instead of in person. I didn't want to get you sick.
6: Oh, I
0: appreciate that. I'm sorry you're not feeling well, man. No, that's all right. It's all good. It's fine. Thank you very much for talking to me. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you. Well,
6: um, we just got started, you know. Let me know how it goes when we're done. <laughs> we still feel the same way. Well,
0: I've was was I, was, uh, I was, I've been a fan of you for a while, so if uh, if I still am at the end of the interview, then we'll consider it a bonus. <laughs> right on. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm. My name's David. As you know, I'm from Nerd, Cult, Nerd Culture Podcast. I'll, I'll get straight into it. Um, I'm speaking to Jason Marsden. Is um, you obviously uh, your major major work is in voice acting, uh, but you're also, but you're no stranger uh, in front of the camera as well. In mean, in terms of uh, in acting, um, you're a bit of a jack of all trades. You've even done uh, some work behind the camera as well. Yes, yes, I've
6: had a fortunate career so yeah. far. People are still hiring me, and I, I don't know why.
0: <laughs> because you're, you're good at what you do I mean, you're, it's in, in front of the camera you've been in uh, General Hospital The Monsters Today, Step by Step Boy Meets World, Return to the Back Cave. I mean, there's, and there's many more It must have been awesome working on uh, The Monsters Today, that would have been cool Oh, that was a
6: blast A blast, because <laughs> I was a fan of the, the original, of course And uh, it was my first, I mean, I was 12 when I booked it, it was my first, like, big thing And, uh, you know, it was, you know, you, you, everything starts as a pilot, you know, like a, kind of like a test show, and then you're, you're lucky if it gets picked up. And I got picked up for three seasons, and I worked on the, the Universal Studios back lot uh, at the same time they were doing Back to the Future 2 and Dick Tracy. So, oh. like, my weekends, when I would, because <laughs> I lived across the street, I would ride my bike over to Universal. This is before, you know, like, security was an issue, and the, the guards knew me. So, I would, just, I would literally go and just hang out in the back lot and, uh, and watch them film.
0: That's cool, and, work, and working with Lee Merriweather on the show would have been magnificent as well. She's all oh,
6: right, Catwoman, one of the best Catwomen if you,
4: <laughs> if you ask me.
0: Oh yeah, for, oh for sure, she's great. And uh, the, I mean, that also connects you to um, Return to the Batcave. We actually we worked with yeah. Adam West and Burt Ward.
2: Who's, yes,
6: you? yes, yes. That was uh, that was too much fun. I'm a big Batman fan anyway, so that that was a, a treat and a half to, to do that and uh, uh, wear the costume and you know me be a, be a
4: little
0: bit in, uh, in the life of Bert Ward. <laughs> that's just, that's brilliant. Um, so, like like I said the like you're mainly known for, uh, well, I like, think of your voice work. The amount of voice work that you've done is just unbelievable. I don't know how you find the time. It's a huge list. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean I, I, it's, it's too many to mention here, but I, I, some of the ones I want to talk about is uh, uh, Lillacore and Cern from Baldur's Gate 2, the game, which is one of my favourite games of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you also worked as you um, also did the voice of Tasselhoff from the Dranglelands animated movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Were, were you a fan of the books as before you did the the, the gig?
6: No, I have. I know. I'm ashamed to admit I hadn't heard of that the the property until I I did it. When I back then in the 80s, you know, when Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games were coming out, um, I don't know if it was like this here, but in the states, it was, the propaganda was like it's devil worship and black <laughs> magic and. and and don't make sure your kids aren't playing. My parents like bought, totally bought into that, so they uh-huh. refused to let me play any of that. And I, and I would have loved that. So I, I, of course, had I got into it then, I probably would have been familiar with uh, with uh, Margaret and Tracy's book and and you know PSR in the first place. So no, so I came in after the fact. I, again, felt good to be part of uh, something that people hold near and dear, and I got to work with Margaret and Tracy. And uh, awesome.
0: yeah. Yeah, um, and now and now you're actually starring in a web series called Space Guys in Space. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
6: Yeah, absolutely, please. Because we finished it a, a few years ago, and uh, and I, I am I am proud of it. It's uh, it's kind of like I call Laverne and Shirley in space. You know, like two knuckleheads trapped in a space pod um,
4: yeah. <laughs> with a, uh,
6: a beautiful uh, hologram uh, uh, who represents the computer's AI engine um, and the hijinks that we get into and in a. You know, I hadn't done a web series yet at the time. And uh, for the same people that did uh, Dragonlance or approached me for Space Guys. They said, yeah, we had this idea. The two guys in a space pod. They showed me the scripts. The scripts were outstanding. And, you know, uh, in this day and age, it's like, how can you do something fun uh, on a low budget, you know, preferably, you know, one location, very few actors. And uh, it was really easy, you know, that the company made... Uh, a pretty inexpensive, a pretty you know, expensive-looking
5: ship, yeah.
6: interior of a ship, and uh, and we knocked it out in like five days, and had a had a blast. <laughs> so yeah, please, it's still on <laughs> YouTube. So yeah, I've, I've, I've,
0: will I've check only it seen out. one episode, but uh, it has it for me. It has a bit of a red dwarf vibe to it.
6: A lot of people say that. I'm not familiar with red dwarf, but uh, a lot of people uh, share the same opinion.
0: Yeah, it's it's good. It's good stuff. I think it's I think it's hilarious. I'll definitely check out the rest of the episodes.
6: Please do. Yeah. Don't you want to know how it ends up?
0: no don't tell me (laughs)
6: don't Um, you want to know where it goes do they get off the do they get off the pod are they on an island is it a dream i don't
0: know is there a polar bear somewhere around there (laughs) (laughs) it is um so with with your extensive body of work do you have any favorite roles yeah
6: man i really dug doing um uh the series Uh, i don't know if it if it appeared out here it was called Erie, indiana does that sound familiar
0: yeah I've, I've heard of it i haven't seen any of it though
6: it was uh, it was one of those like innovative shows in the early 90s it was a half hour kind of like a twilight zone kind of vibe about you know a young boy that move and his family moves to this town called Erie, uh where you know all this sort of oddity happens but it's normal to everyone else like you know bigfoot you know goes through your trash and Elvis lives down the street and, you know, there's a, a Bureau of Lost where, you know, you, you go and all the, uh, the, the, socks, uh, you know, you, you wash your socks in the, the laundry and one of them's missing. Where'd they go? The Bureau of Lost. <laughs> and, uh, they brought me in on the second season as the, this foil for, uh, the main character. And he was, he was kind of like a, a little, little dark, little villainy. He had gray hair. He had these mysterious tattoos on his hands. And, I was 17 years old. It was it was one of my. I did it after the monsters, and it was uh, it was too much fun. And I worked with some great people, and I, I uh, it always rings near and dear in my heart. That's awesome. But you probably want to hear about something that most people though right? Enough about
0: what, what I care about. No, no. Was, <laughs> not, I, I wanted to hear what, what was your favorite role.
6: I loved I loved working on the Goofy movie. Uh, <laughs>
0: cool, that I have seen. <laughs> it is awesome.
6: Yeah, it was too much. You know, too much fun. It was the first like feature film starring an iconic. Disney character and I get to play his his son and uh, uh, you know again work with some great talent the story was fantastic and the movie did really well and, and, and to my delight people still love it to this day
0: it's a classic Do you, yeah so does all the amount of people that you've worked with like you said the great talent that you've worked with have you ever been starstruck
6: oh man every time I mean I'm here at OzCon and I was uh, I was downstairs with Tom Skerritt and we shared a, uh, a, a lift coming up and I, I, I just talk to them I was like I have so many things I could talk about like I just want to like make a fool of myself I have a habit like in in the past I would always make a fool of myself in front of celebrities so I just kind of stop I just (laughs) I enjoy sharing space with them and if they want to talk to me uh, I'm happy to you know try to put my foot in my mouth but that's
0: me (laughs) that's awesome and do you have uh, any favorite fan moments
6: oh yeah you know I love meeting fans who, who, who bring like uh uh, gifts, and not like 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 artwork or or uh, creations that they've made. Um, I work on this uh, cartoon. I don't know if you have it here. It's called Transformers Rescue Bots. It's a Transformers franchise for a younger audience. It's on the Hub Network or Netflix, right. and uh, we we had a um, a, a botcon. Transformers convention uh, a few weeks ago in Pasadena, California and uh, this lovely young lady from Japan, I believe, she was dressed as Megatron uh, as if Megatron was like an evening gown and she made it (laughs) and she was stunning and she made um, all of us, she drew these amazing illustrations that, you know, I mean, she could work for for hasbro i mean like or disney i mean like they, they were really spot on and she made these little sculptures of the uh the communicate the communicator device that the humans
0: wear and uh it's it's a treat you know That's
6: when awesome. uh, when you get cool swag like that it shows that people really are watching and they really they really care they really dig it
0: you know i'm, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of fans tomorrow as well there's this one one particular as i asked our trademark question that we have on the show uh, it's it can be a bit of a pearl though, so, so so be prepared. Right? Bring it. You ready? Bring it. Yeah. If you were if you were doing this interview, what would be the one question you would want asked? <laughs> if I'm interviewing myself. Yeah. So if you're if you're the one in control of the interview, what would be the one question that you would want somebody to ask of you? That's a good
6: good good question. Uh, let's see, I'm wracking my brain. Do I be clever? Should I be honest? Uh, am I going for good podcasting here? Let's see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh am I a fan of Game of Thrones and am I really excited to meet some of the cast uh here at Oscon?
4: Okay.
6: And well Jason, the answer is yes, actually. You know you're a fan of uh, Game of Thrones. I just finished watching the whole season. Uh I met a couple of guys already, uh, and I can't wait to ask them about Gwendolyn Christie, who I have a big crush on. Uh <laughs> and see if she likes, you know, short American guys.
0: <laughs> I'm sure the answer will be yes.
6: Yes. Awesome. <laughs>
0: I'll tell you you said that. If I later. Game of Thrones is awesome. Thank you very much, Jason. I hope you have a great time in Australia, and uh, I'll introduce myself tomorrow. Oh, awesome! Uh, Hopefully, if you feel better. Yeah, thank you very. I'll be. I'll be uh, have uh, stocked up on the the medication. I'll be okay. Alright, man. Take it easy. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Awesome, also, that was it. That's it for episode ninety nine. As, as we said, is our next episode is episode one hundred. Yeah. So, uh, looking really, really looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. Awesome fun. We're so happy that you've been through us uh, for all this. So uh, stick with us till episode 100 and, uh, and enjoy the the as the hilarity ensues.
4: <laughs> hilarity.
0: <laughs> that's, that's it for me and the crew, Richo.
1: Ah, I forgot to put Luke on my top five monsters. He's terrifying. And Luke,
3: I need no classification. My evil stands for itself.
1: Crystal,
2: kitten, come.
1: <laughs> What's his actual name? Twinkle. 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 <laughs> You know, you could have had the giant cod as well. They had two big monsters in that show. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
2: You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to
4: feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com.
2: You can run on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash podcast. Tweet us at
1: nerdculturecast.
2: Skype us on podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message, we might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website
3: www.nerdculturepodcast.com
2: If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel don't forget you can rate review and subscribe to the show on itunes wondering where you can hear more of Bo? go to
0: ecnradio.com. radio.com
2: and david also have another podcast called film flams more info at
0: www.filmflames.com.
2: you can find all of our podcasts and more at
4: undercastnetwork.com
2: thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes